0: We thank you for this great truth, Lord. May we now, as we open your word, believe it all the more. We pray not only for what is happening here. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We also ask you to be at work in the chapel as Pastor Tyler is beginning to preach your word. And God, may your word now be displayed and may we have eyes that can see and ears that can hear. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are, thank you, Kevin. We are talking. Go ahead and grab a seat. Yeah, we are... um, we're talking about what's next. Uh, we're talking about the coming restoration of Christ to this earth. There's going to be a moment, and it's, it's not far, we, we pray, when Christ is going to rapture the church. The dead in Christ will rise first, as is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then we who remain, we will be caught up in the air with them, and we will be with the Lord forever. And for those of us who believe this is an exciting thing, this is something we're excited about, we're anticipating, we're looking forward to it, we're living in light of it. And by living in light of it, we live boldly because we understand there's a sense of urgency because of what is happening in our world and what is about to happen. And I know that there are some who are here today, right now, you're sitting in there thinking, yes, boldness is for some, but not for me. After all, I'm sort of shy. I'm introverted. I have a certain personality type that would not lend itself toward being bold. And I get that. And God made you exactly the way he wants you. As shy as you are or possibly as quiet as you are. But understand, he's called us all to be bold. And I've seen, as you have, those who are maybe considered sheepish come out with great boldness. I've seen someone sheepish behind the wheel of a car who was late for an appointment. I've seen you on Scottsville Road. I see what you do. I've seen that power. Maybe you've been in a meeting or maybe in a conversation and been somewhere and then suddenly uh, something happened, maybe something catastrophic. And out of nowhere, someone who is seemingly quiet begins to take over and to bark out orders. I've seen many so-called quiet ladies who were nurses take over an important moment and begin to provide what was needed. So being bold is not about being arrogant and it's not about being loud. It's about being urgent. It's about understanding that there is a serious need and that we've got the answer and we've got to do something about it. Like never before, there's brokenness in our world. Many of you today, you've brought into this room, you've got brokenness. You look great on the outside. And by the way, you look great, all right? All of you do. But here's what I know and what God knows about what's happening in many lives today. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. And that can be disabling. It can be distracting. And and for those of us who believe we have a strength, we have a hope that enables us to endure. Imagine if you didn't have Christ. And that is the case for many within our city, many of the people where you live around, many that, that, that you go to work with. Maybe some of you sitting here, this brokenness is debilitating. We understand that God... God's design is that we have harmony with him. God's design is that that we have peace within, peace with God and peace with others. But we understand because of sin, that's been broken. And that brokenness, it, it has an impact, not just on our life, but all of our relationships. And that's why marriages are in trouble. That's why families are falling apart. That's why friends are in conflict today. It's because of sin. All of it, all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of it, all the root of it is sin. It creates brokenness, but thanks be to God. He did not abandon us in our sin. The gospel tells us that Christ, God almighty became human, lived a perfect life and died to pay for our sins. And if we will repent of our own self delusion, our capacity to save ourselves and to do things on our own, Christ will forgive us and he will give us a new life so that we can pursue and recover God's design. Here's what I know about about many people who are married right now. Without the intervention of Christ, you will not be married in a matter of months or years. Some of you, you have people in your neighborhood, you have people in your workplace, and it looks like things are going great. I'm gonna tell you something I've seen over 15 years of pastoring this church. I've seen so many people who are on the outside look like they had it all together, only on the inside that their marriage was falling apart, their family was falling apart, friendships were falling apart, their their integrity, their, their purpose for life falling apart. And here's why. If Christ is not the center and the foundation, there's no living hope there's no real hope. And here's what our people, here's what the people we know in the world, the people where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you hang out, where you play with the things that you're a part of. Every person there needs hope. They need Christ and they need us to be bold about it. Bold enough to tell them, bold enough to to share what we have. And what do we have? Why would we be bold? Why would there be anything about us that that would give us any kind of confidence that we could actually help make a difference and be helpful? Here's, Here's why. We have an anchor for our soul. Hebrews chapter six, verse 19 spells it out clearly. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We are not bold because we're so smart and because we have it together. We are bold because we have a savior, Jesus Christ. We have a savior who is right now at the hand of God. He is praying for us. He is mediating for us. And at the same time, he is with us. We have God who is with us and praying for us. He is for us. He is with us. And we have many people in our lives and in our world right now, people you know that I know, that need this hope, that need this anchor, that need this life. And with Christ as the anchor, we can actually become what God designed us to be. Many have stopped becoming what God has designed them to be. Like never before, we have, we have a very serious issue. It's a syndrome that exists in our culture today. It's called the Peter Pan syndrome. You know, it used to be when you would see an adult that would act silly and be silly and live a silly existence, it was sort of funny. It's not funny anymore. And the reason why it's not funny is because it's so commonplace. There are so many adults who don't want to grow up. They want to be children. They don't want to be responsible. They don't want to be mature. And what's frightening is that many of these adults now have resources because they've, they've gotten jobs or, or maybe they don't have the jobs that they should have but they have enough resources to do something ridiculous And without accountability to call them into wise living and without the motivation of the gospel, many in our culture, many in in our own city are living with this Peter Pan syndrome and they won't and they can't grow up. There's a lack of maturity. And the lack of maturity comes from it comes from something that, that, that few of us talk about or think about in these terms. See, we have this chapter in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Most of us know it as the love chapter. What we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is a description of what love is, but hidden right there. Not really hidden, but just kind of right there in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13 is this verse. It's verse 11 and it speaks to maturity and it speaks to where it comes from. Look at verse 11 of first Corinthians 13. Again, this is the love chapter. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What motivates maturity? It's love. Show me a person who is selfish and is only concerned with how they feel, what they're getting, what's happening to them, and I'll show you a person who is absent of maturity because they are absent of love. Love changes the focus from the inside to self to others. It does not ask, am I happy? Am am I comfortable? The question that love asks is, am I serving those who are around me? Am I serving a greater purpose than me? Christ is calling us to maturity. And we see in our text what it looks like when we have this maturity that comes from love that, that produces in us a boldness to live. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Believe it or not, this is the second to last sermon in this series in 1 Thessalonians. We'll be moving on to a doctrinal series just in a couple of weeks. So I'm glad you're here and I hope you're here next week. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Anna Lacefield is gonna come and read for us. We are in... First Thessalonians chapter 5. She's now going to read for us verses 16 through 22. Go ahead. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks to in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Jesus Christ for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, And If you would, go ahead and, and be seated. There is a great need for people to grow up and mature. And there's no better picture of what that looks like than in the life of a good mother. In the life of a good mother, you find someone who is serving the needs of others. In a good mother, you, you see someone who has the boldness to call out the problem that's in the room. You, you take a man, a man can easily walk through and past a dirty room and not think anything about it, right? But it takes a mother to see it and a mother to call it out. Because a mother will say, you are filthy. You are filthy. A dad would say, I smell something but I don't know what it I don't know what it is but, but but a mother a mother has this ability to see things and not just see it but call it what it is to speak to it see a mother doesn't just look at what what's going to happen in the moment a mother has the capacity to see that this decision will lead to out, this outcome which will lead to this tomorrow they can see things that will happen Years in advance because of a single decision and they had the boldness to dare to speak to it. See, that's what a mature person does. They don't ask what's comfortable for me. They ask, how can I serve the needs of those I love? How can I sacrifice? This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is what it means to be mature. It means that we, we in love, in the love of Christ become bold because of the gospel of Christ and we live lives that are mature. And what we see in our text is what this boldness produces. What does it look like? There's three things. There's actually eight imperatives in this section of scripture, but we're going to, we're going to break it down into three categories today. So take note of this. The first one is this in the boldness of Christ. This, this text is telling us be responsible be responsible. This responsibility is revealed in, in three distinct ways here. Our responsibility, first of all, is revealed in our rejoicing. The text says that we are to rejoice always. We are to grow up, and in the boldness of our faith and love, we are to choose to rejoice always. Now, this does not mean that, that we get a stiff upper lip and a fake smile on our face, that's not what it means. What, what this does mean is, is that we choose to live by faith in the grace of God. I'm going to tell you something. If you are having difficulty rejoicing, it's because you have a lack of faith. Faith is the fuel for rejoicing. See, if you have faith, you know that God loves you. If you have faith, you know that God is in control. If you have faith, you know that God has a plan for everything you're going through. And so if you know that God loves you, that he is in control and he has a plan for you, no matter what you're going through, you rejoice. Not because it's going the way you want it to, but you know that God is at work. And that faith allows you to rejoice and to be bold. It also leads to prayer. So the second thing we need to to do responsibly is we need to be praying. God calls us to look at him at all times. And look at what that says. This, this, this scripture is, is, you gotta understand what this means. It says that we are to pray without ceasing. Let me tell you what this does not mean. This does not mean that we need to have our heads down and our eyes closed and being constant word exchange with God. It's not about talking constantly to God. Prayer is more than words, we have this, this wrong idea that prayer is about what I'm saying to God or what God is saying to me through his word as, I, as, as I'm seeking to understand him. Most of prayer, most of prayer is simply presence. It's being in the presence of God. It's acknowledging his presence. Uh, look what Buechner said. Frederick Buechner said this. There is no event so commonplace but that God is present within it. That means that every second of every moment of every hour of every day of every month of every year, God is with you. He is with you and he is for you. The question is, are you aware of him? Are you present to God at all times? Or has pride set in and have you gotten this idea that yeah, God's there and I'll call him if I need him, but you're not really present to him at all times. We're, we're told to, to pray without ceasing. And, and when we do that, we are living in the presence of God. Listen, I am never so happy. I am never so content than when I am simply in the presence of my wife. There, there's just a, there is a peace that happens there. Now, listen, we, we talk we talk about y'all, right? We talk about us. We talk about our freeloaders, our children, right? We, we talk. But you know what a majority of our life is? It's being present. It's acknowledging the presence of the other and then seeing life from that shared experience. What God is calling us to is not to constantly be talking, What God is calling us to is to pray without ceasing. That is to see all of our life from the perspective of the fact that he is present with us. Not only is he at work in every circumstance out there, he is present with us here. And when you know by faith that God is at work in all things and you are living in his presence, you can't help but give thanks and that's what happens because God loves us and is with us and has a plan for everything we go through. We can give thanks in all circumstance. Now, this does not mean we're always going to be happy. I know that, that some don't believe this, but believe it or not, the truth is sometimes it's God's will that we be sad. And there's nothing in the world wrong with being sad. There's nothing wrong with it. I know we look at everybody's Facebook and Instagram and we think they just must be happy all the time. Because they sure look happy in every one of their pictures. Go to their house. (laughs) See what they don't put online. Big pile of laundry, right? Mama ain't always happy. It's okay not to always be happy. But there's never a time when we can't be grateful. And gratitude and giving thanks to God, it's to happen when, when, when it's the best of times and the worst of times. Listen, if you're going through the best of times, if there is good that's happening to you, give praise to God. Look what James 1.17 says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. If you've got anything that is good, it's from God. And understand, we don't deserve any of it. We have committed treason against the high king of heaven. And anything good that we have is an act of grace. Do you have any love? Do you have any kindness around you? Do you have any good things? Be thankful. Because you don't deserve them and I don't deserve a single one of them. Give thanks to God in the best of times and the worst of times. Give thanks to God in the bad times. Why? Well, Romans 8 tells us why. You know this one. Because we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, God has this mysterious power to take the very worst things and and work them for good. Think about what he did with the cross of Jesus Christ. There's never been a worse thing that's ever happened on this planet than the Holy One of God to be spit upon and crucified. And God used it for good. And I know that on that day that those disciples, they were not looking at the cross of Christ. They did not watch him take that beating. They did not see all that blood and say, oh, praise God, this is good. No, they were sad. They were grieved. They were scared. But you know what God did? God used it for good. In his miraculous power, God can use miscarriage, cancer, job loss, God can use conflict. Are you at conflict at home with friends? God has the power to use it all for good. And so we can give thanks in every circle. Not because we're happy. Not because we feel good about it. But because we know that God by faith is with us and for us, that he is present with us and we are praying without ceasing. And so we are able to give him thanks. And the scripture says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for us, that we grow up, that we mature because of love. And in that love, that we experience the boldness of Christ. In the boldness of Christ, second thing, write this one down, is that we be spirit led He now gives a command in the form of a negative. Look in verse 19. It says here, Do not quench the Spirit. Understand it is very easy to quench the Spirit. We are to be responsible and and able to, to, to accomplish the will of God in Christ Jesus, but we can only do that when we're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to quench the Spirit? Simply said... It's when we live by our power, our ideas, our feelings, we quench the spirit. It's when we say, you know, I know God is the almighty. and I know there is none like him, but you know, I know enough to get, on, to get by on my own. I can figure this out. I can figure out my life, my marriage, my future, this sickness. I can, Hey, if I need God, he's there. But really and truly, I mean, I'm an intelligent human being. I've got a lot going for me. You know, I'm good. I've got this. That quenches the spirit. Self-delusion, the self-delusion of self-dependence quenches the spirit. We have to understand we're always going to be in a conflict If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's always a conflict that's occurring in your life. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 explains this. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Look at this. For these are opposed to each other. There's always an opposition. There's always a conflict to keep you. This is is not ha-ha funny. It's just to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So here's the thing. If you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, you want to live in this power of the Holy Spirit, your flesh is always going to be working against the thing you want. It's always going to be working in opposition to your desire to live a Spirit-filled life. Now, if you're living in the flesh and you're a follower of Jesus Christ... You say, I don't want to uh, obey God in this. I want to lie. I want to, to, to be greedy. I want to be adulterous. I want to be whatever it is, whatever it is in your flesh. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then the spirit is working in opposition to that. And if you are living in sin, there is an opposition force, the spirit of God that's bringing conviction. Now, let me say this quickly. If you claim to be a Christian and you can go week in, week out without worshiping him, without serving him, without honoring him, without living for him, and there's no opposition, you are lost. You are in trouble. Understand, if, there, if you're living in sin and there is no opposition, then the battle has already been lost. You are lost in your flesh. And the only thing that can save you is Jesus. So understand, if you're a Christian, there's always going to be opposite. There's always going to be this battle between the flesh and the spirit. Reminds me though of this story of a of a missionary who was going to evangelize the Native Americans, and he actually led a chief to Christ. And he spent a little bit of time. They had to move on to another people group, but after some time, he came back and he had a conversation with the chief. And he asked the chief, he said, "How are you doing?" And he said, Oh, not, not good. And he said, well, what's wrong? And he said, I feel like there's a battle inside of me. He said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, it's as though there's a white wolf that is the spirit who's at work, but there's a battle with a black wolf with it, which is my flesh. And they're always battling. And the missionary said, well, who's winning? And the Indian chief said, the one I feed the most. If you feed the desires of your flesh, then your flesh in opposition to your spirit will quench the spirit. If however, as a follower of Jesus Christ, who's living in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you will feed the work of the spirit in your life through prayer and accountability and worship, when you worship, connect, serve, equip, multiply, when you are walking down that disciple's pathway, very fundamental acts of the faith, then the spirit of God, that work is fed in your life And it will overcome the work of the flesh. We are responsible to be bold in our acquisition of living a life in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to be spirit led. That takes discipline. And when it is lived out, there is a boldness. Last. Last is this. We are to be gospel centered. Be gospel centered. I think my opinion is that verses 20 through 22 explain the reason why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this letter. What we see here is I believe the reason why we have this letter to study as God's word. Now, look what it says. It says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good abstain from every form of evil. Remember The reason why Paul wrote this epistle was because there were preachers who brought prophecies to this young church that caused confusion and doubt. The reason why Paul wrote this letter was to explain the second coming of Christ and how Christians were to live as a mature life in the boldness of Jesus Christ. He was writing because there had been preachers who came and their prophecies were false. And so Paul is now writing to them, and, and he's and he's telling them that they need to be able to discern the difference. Now, first, we need to make sure we understand what prophecies are. Some of us only have a half-right understanding of prophecies. Prophecies, there are two uh, aspects. Of it. Um, Walter Kaiser, an Old Testament professor, says, uh, notes that prophecy can mean either foretelling or forthtelling. What's the difference? Foretelling speaks to the specific function of the prophet who predicted the future activities of God. So that's typically what most of us think of when we think of prophecies. We think of telling the future according to the will and word of God. That's only a portion. As a matter of fact, that's a minority of what most prophecy is in Scripture. Most prophecy in Scripture is forth telling. That's speaking to ongoing activity of the prophet who spoke as a preacher of the righteousness to his generation and his culture. Again, Scripture, more than two thirds of all prophetic activity in the Bible is forth telling rather than foretelling. And what we need to understand, the situation that we're in is very similar to the situation that that the church at Thessalonica was in. There were preachers who were prophesying half-truths and sometimes outright lies. We need to understand that there are people who are nice, intelligent, seemingly successful, who are teaching us things from the Bible that are half-truths. And half-truths are lies. There's either sound doctrine or there's deceit. And we need to be friends, please hear me, we need to be very careful about what is being sold to us on television, specifically religious television. And just because Lifeway is selling it doesn't mean it's true. Don't send me any emails, LifeWay people. You know what I know. Just because it has a sense of spirituality to it doesn't mean it's true. We have to be able to discern between the two. Now, let me tell you this. It's not hard to. I know some of you are sitting there like, I don't have a doctorate degree. I don't have a systematic theology degree. I don't know. You don't have to. Remember, Paul is writing to a church that's a few months old, and he's telling them to be able to discern between what is good and what is evil. How? It's easy. I mean, let me explain. They did not have, though, let me just say this they didn't have what we have, they did not have the full counsel of God, but they still had the story. They had the story of the Bible. We know, you've heard this, the Bible is not a collection of sayings or stories, it's a single story. And they had the story. They knew that at creation God had made all things to be in harmony. They knew that because of the fall, the world now is not as it should be. They know that Jesus Christ had come to provide the rescue through his death and resurrection, and that one day Jesus will return again and there will be the restoration. That's the whole Bible. They had the story. They knew the Old Testament creation and fall. They heard the preaching of Paul, that the Messiah had come, that Jesus Christ had come to rescue. And now in this letter, they know Christ is returning again. This is the word of God. The word of God tells us is that we are living in a fallen world, that we have a sin nature, that we human beings are not by nature good. We are by nature sinful. We have to work at being good. We don't have to teach our children to lie. Have you noticed that? It happens by nature. That is the sin nature. The Bible teaches that we're in a fallen world, that we human beings have a now sinful nature, but that Jesus Christ and Christ alone has provided the means to atone for our sin. And by the name of Christ alone, we can be saved. And having been saved, we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit and we can live responsible lives. (laughs) Again, praying, living in his presence, living by faith, giving thanks, living a spirit filled life in the power of the gospel. Friends, we've got to be able to discern between the true gospel and these pseudo gospels that exist in our society today. And we must be careful and and we must be ready to repent. Some are living by a pseudo gospel today. If I can just have my children behave to this level, if I can just get an income to this level, if I can just have this uh, look about me, if I can just weigh this much, or if I can just pseudo gospels, things that we think that will satisfy the longing of our soul, but don't. They may scratch our ego They may make us feel good for the moment, but they will not save. It is Christ alone, by grace through faith alone. It is the word of God alone. And if we do not know the word of God, we cannot know the will of God. And if we do not know the will of God, we cannot walk in the way of God. And if we are not living in the way of God, we are not blessed regardless of what we look like, how much we got, and who knows our name. We are cursed under sin. It is only through the word that we understand the will and we understand the way. So let me ask you do you have Christ? Are you feeding the spirit life? Are you gospel centered? If so, then here's what you can say it is well with my soul. No matter how I'm tempted, No matter what challenge I'm facing, it is well with my soul. Here's what I know about many of us sitting here right now it is not well with our soul. We are not sleeping well. We are anxious. We are troubled. And why? We're not trusting in the love of God, we're not living in the power of the Spirit, we're not rejoicing. We're not in his presence. We're not thankful. And friends, we need, we need him. And it will, the result will be boldness. And so this morning, we're going to conclude by, by singing what I believe and I hope is a confession. And if you cannot say it as well with my soul, come get on your knees until you can. Ask Christ to forgive you. Give, give Christ a situation that's causing you to be anxious. Turn over your marriage. Ask God to show you where your sin is. Be a peacemaker. Resolve that conflict. Whatever it is, ask Christ to do a work so that you can say, it is well with my soul. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, your word has shown us your your way. It's, it's according to your will. It is, it is in the the power of the gospel that we can say it is well with my soul but Lord there are some today who cannot say this and I pray that they will come and and get on their knees some to repent of their sin some to ask for your power to be at work some asking you to to transform something in them or around them Father God you know the need of every person here and you care and you are for us so hear the prayers of those who come and ask you now And make it so that they can say, it is well with my soul. And for the remainder of us, may we now bring you glory by singing this as a confession. It is well. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and pray.